I'll maybe do it. Will I do it in my Father Ted boring? Did he ask for a boring voice? No, he asked for an eccentric voice. So we'll go with that one this morning. We'll try and keep you all awake, try and keep you all on your toes. Um, after all, God did invent laughter so and fun. So I wanted to try and keep you engaged this morning. But we're continuing on with the visions. I have to follow on after Neil, who has been in fine form, unlike Manchester United. He has been in great form. And uh, he has been uh, really stirring us and challenging us, isn't that right? Because I think he's listening, so we'll, we'll big up his ego in London. Uh, he, maybe he's been called to another church over there or something, have you, Neil? Hopefully not. Uh, we miss you. So we're going to read from Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32, and uh, it's going to be on the screen. And so in the translation I was reading from, at the start of Ephesians 4, it's called Our Divine Calling. In another uh, Version is called, it's talking about unity of the church. And then where I'm going to this morning is then our new life in Christ. This is where we're going. It's your new life in Christ. This is what it's supposed to be like. So starting at verse 17. So with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. It's a wee bit tense, but we'll get there. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from, from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. What a way to introduce a passage from Paul. Verse 19, because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. Or in the original, it would have said uh, ultimate learning. The ultimate learning and processing of life is found in experiencing the anointed one who is Jesus. And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. Remember that, live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness, and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. So discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you'll be known as one who always speaks the truth, for we will belong to one another. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. And this is the famous verse that husbands and wives use. Don't let the sun go down in the anger. Verse 26 says, but don't let, your passion, let the passion of your emotions lead to sin. Don't let anger control you or be, or be fuel for revenge, not, not for even a day. And in the original, that was the word razo, which means shake. So what it was talking about was not just anger. It's actually saying don't let powerful emotions settle in you overnight. Don't, let, don't linger on powerful, so not just anger, powerful emotions that make you physically shake, that get to the core of you. Don't let them settle. Don't let them linger. Don't continue the day with them. Get them sorted out. 
So not just anger. That's a wee side note for you this morning. Neil's been bringing a lot of wee Greek words, so we'll get some in this morning as well. Where were we? Verse 26. Verse 27. Don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. If any one of you has stolen from someone else, never do it again. Instead, be industrious, earning an honest living, and then you'll have enough to bless those in need. And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted his holy influence on your life. Or again, if we go a bit deeper, it says do not limit the Spirit in your life. What things are limiting the Spirit of God moving in your everyday ordinary life? Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate towards one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Trust me to get a long passage like that with lots of things that you could preach on. What a powerful passage. I've been reading over it all this week. and There's an awful lot in that passage that brings me to grief because of things I think and ways I behave and actions I have done. And I encourage you just today just to go home and read over that. I don't want to give you too much today, so I just want us to, th- to hopefully help shape how we think about this verse. In the Old Testament, it always talked, the prophets always talked about the day of the Lord. And it was a day where he was coming to remind you of who he was, the power that he, called, he had. But it was actually an alignment back to the heart of God. Really, when we read through the, the prophets in the Old Testament, Nearly every time, it was a calling back to the alignment of God's heart and the covenant that they had entered into with God. And, and that's, that's what I got from this verse. It's almost like a speech from Paul of reminding who you are and reminding you of the things that you need to step away from to realign yourself with the power of Jesus Christ. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. It was a reminder of who he was And so we can see these verses in a few ways, depending on the perspective in which we read them. We can either read this and go, oh my goodness, here goes Paul again with all this. Do not do this. You can't do this. If you do this, it's going to do this to your life. And we can roll our eyes and get on with it and miss what Paul's trying to say. We can read these verses and go, yes, more rules for me to follow. I have lots more things. I'm going to put a tick box beside it. I'm going to get a lovely little book and I'm going to laminate the page and I'm going to tick it when I do it this week. And I can show people how well I have treated people and what I've done with my words. And I haven't been jealous and I haven't stolen and I haven't done this. And I can be religious about what Paul has said. Or I can read this and my heart can be broken because of of who God is in my life, and I can live these verses out of a place of, I love you, God. Those are our options, because it's all about a heart matter. These things are external signs of an inward process. Something's going on inside. I was going to show you a video clip of this, but I forgot the kids were out, but I should have. So if any of you have seen Men in Black, has anybody seen Men in Black? 
Okay, so in the very first one, if you can put the first uh, picture up there, uh, in the very first Men in Black, Tommy Lee Jones, we well, can't really see it, but he comes across this big, massive cockroach. Does anyone really remember it? Like 10 foot tall. And they're trying to kill it, and they're shooting it from the outside, and nothing is working, working because this massive cockroach has like armor and whatever. You can't get to it. So Tommy Lee Jones jumps in front of it, and he's like, Eat me! Eat me! And Will Smith, this is back when he was popular, he was saying to Tommy Lee Jones, What on earth are you doing? Why are you wanting this big space alien to eat you? And next thing, it eats him. And the scene goes on. We don't think anything of it. And then... At the end of the scene, we hear this noise from inside the belly of the cockroach, and he shoots it and destroys it. There's a couple of those there. Yes, there we go. It was a bit messy. This is God's plan for defeating sin. It's not the outward. It has to be destroyed from the inside. It has to be destroyed from the inside. And as it's destroyed from there, and as God works on your heart, and he is living and dwelling in you and doing something in you, the outward appearance of godliness comes not through works, not through acts, but through a transformation of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, just like this bug, it can get very messy when we are real with the sins that we have in our lives. Can we get the lights back on? I can't, I'm getting old. I can't read. That's better. And so the way of the kingdom is the way of the heart. And so uh, one writer says this, awareness of a problem means awareness of conflict or tension between two ideas, forces, or situations. And in this sense, the problem of history is a tension between what happens now and what may happen next. The future is simply a continuation of the present. Where you are now is because of what you have done in the past. But because of grace, you have a choice right now that your future can be different. The choices you make today will impact tomorrow. It's not like a politician. I should have ran this week. It's not over. It's not done. We are not a culmination of what has gone before. I just said we are, but we're not. We don't have to stay there. And I believe this is what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church. So some of you are doing this and you're doing that and you're behaving like that, but it is, it's not who you are. I am calling you back into alignment with who you are in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for you. Jeremiah 18 to 3 and 4, uh, one of those famous verses about the potter, but it says this, So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel, but the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. That is grace. And you know what? No matter, I don't understand it, but I get to start over all the time. I don't want to start over because I don't feel worthy to start over, but I get to start over. And he starts to remake and remold. And he starts to change things because we are not like rocks. We are not shaped by the wind and the rain. We are shaped by his hand. And whatever the world says, whenever it says, give up, Look at yourself, catch yourself on. We look to him who molds and shapes us and we are reminded we are not alone. Verse 30, it says that we are sealed by the Spirit. If you were um, reading the book this week, chapter, what were we in chapter nine? Chapter 10, thank you. 
told us that we have a partner, we have an advocate that is the Holy Spirit in all of this. Abraham Heschel says, sin is not a cul-de-sac, nor is guilt a final trap. Sin may be washed away by repentance and beyond. And beyond guilt is the dawn of forgiveness. The door is never locked. The threat of them is not the last word. Sin is not a dead end. There is always a way out. The way out is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ crucified. And so there's so much you could go into this. You could probably, each of us would pick something different to preach on this morning. But I want us to look at the heart behind it. So how do we decide right and wrong? We've been talking about this. What is truth? We've been talking about this over the last few weeks. Do we go with what we know, with what we think, with how we are feeling? We're told not to let our feelings control us. It's good to feel things. It's good to have emotions, but we, we can't let them dictate where we go and who we are. Do we make decisions based on the law? Do we make decisions based on people around us? And so I want to look through a few key things this morning that will hopefully um, challenge you more than give you answers, unfortunately, I'm afraid to say. So let me give you an illustration. Some of this is true, some of it's not. Okay, You have to pick which is not. Um, the, the start's true. So a few years ago, um, we ran down to Ruben's bedroom, and Ruben was struggling to breathe. You might want to close your ears, Nicola, because it might bring back traumatic memories. He was struggling to breathe. He was on all fours. And straight away, dad mode kicks in. Grab him. Get into the car. There was somebody at our house. We just said, you stay here with the rest of the kids. Goodbye. <laughs> Boom. Into the car. Now, the speed limit on the, our road is 60 miles an hour. And I'll tell you what speed I got to. But let me tell you, on the Mother Lilish Road, my car tires left the road and bounced back onto it. When we got into Portadown, the speed limit was 30 miles an hour. The law says, go at 30. I did not go at 30. We came to a red light in the middle of Portadown on the north way. The law says, I need to stop. I carefully went up to the lights. I looked right down in where Lytle is now, and I flew on. Hopefully this doesn't incriminate me. Now, this is the theoretic part. Theoretical part. As I go through the lights, a police car sees me and comes flying up behind me. According to the law, I need to stop. I look over and Reuben, this is still a true part, struggling for breath and Nicholas screaming over him. I choose to ignore the law and I drive on because I know Craig Avon Hospital is two minutes away. I get to Craig Avon Hospital, the police pull in behind me. I actually went the wrong way and the, the paramedics gave off to me and uh, I gave off back. But anyway, the police pull up behind me and they say, stop, sir, against the car. I go around and I grab a ribbon, I ignore the police, I run into A&E, I get them sorted, and I come back out, when I come back out, the policeman's there. Yes, I can explain everything, but he pins me up against the car. He arrests me for not stopping, he arrests me for going through a red light, he arrests me for speeding, and when he looks at the tires of my car, they're completely bald because I was going too fast. Now, in this case, did I do right or did I do wrong? It's a hard one. Because in this case, love overruled the law. 
Love made the decision for me. I had to deal with the consequences later. In the story I did, got away with it in the night. But love trumped it all. And what I want to talk about this morning is our moral decision making in response to Ephesians 4.17. This is not my work. Um, it's by a guy called Dr. Timothy Jennings, if you want to look it up. And he can do it far more justice than I can. But I just want to introduce this to us this morning because I really think this is a good way of us having open dialogue moving forward about how we process and think about the law, Old Testament, rules, religion, and uh, hopefully not open up too much of a can of worms. And let me say, as we go through these different, um, they're called levels, I don't like the word level, but as we go through them, None of these, I don't want you to think of people that you think you know in these levels, and I don't, this is not a place to judge. It's not for us to judge. This is for us to work on our own hearts. And so the first level of response in life is reward and punishment. And so reward and punishment is the very first basic level. Um, right and wrong is determined by whoever holds the power to rule by threat or punish and give hope of reward. So this view of God here is God uses his power to punish sin. If I do something wrong, God will punish me. That's the basics of it. And this is the level that ancient Israel operated at as slaves in Egypt. They did what their taskmaster said in order to avoid punishment. This is where the Nazis were in the World War. They were afraid of what would happen if they didn't do what they were told. This is, happens quite a lot in life. And so this level is so primitive that it doesn't even require a brain and so the mind is completely sidelined. Animals, plants, and even bacteria can be conditioned to do things because of pain that is inflicted onto them. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this down to my own level. Let me give you an illustration of brushing teeth. I should have brought my, my toothbrush with me. So level one is this. Brush your teeth or else. Who said that conversation? Brush your teeth or else. But what? Not... Don't ask why, brush your teeth. It is fear-based obedience. Wrong equals punishment and right equals praise. That's the basics of it. It is about me and it is about my survival. Level two is marketplace exchange. Right and wrong is determined by an equitable agreement between two parties, also known as quid pro quo. I didn't know what that meant before this week. I just heard it in lots of Netflix shows. I'll lose something for you. If you do something for me, people who do evil must be paid back with an equal amount of pain and suffering in this. You've done bad to me, it's every right that I do back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so this was um, ancient Israel's experience at Sinai when the laws were read out by Moses. We will do this. If you do this for me, I will do this for you. And this is also where we get the prosperity gospel. Now, Ronnie will talk about it. There is principles in living with your finances. But the prosperity gospel is you give God lots of money, he's going to give you lots of money back. I give to him, he gives to me. Now, that is true. When we give to God, he gives and blesses and brings abundance in different ways. But specifically with finances we're talking about. And so back to the my level of understanding. Brush your teeth and I'll give you a reward. Daddy, will you give me a pound if I brush my teeth today? I'll get back for what I'm told to do if I do it. It's all about the deal. It's all about me. 
And it's all about my security. Level three, you still with me? Social conformity. Right and wrong is determined by community consensus. For example, when a child says, but everyone else in my class is doing it. Right is deemed right by the approval of our peers around us. And this is what happened with ancient Israel when they asked for a king. All the other nations around us have a king. We want a king to lead us just like them. We want to be like them. And we all know there's a whole lots of sermons we could do and what happened when the kings came in and man started to rule Israel instead of God against the will of God. And so this is a follow the herd mentality. Everyone else is thinking it. I should be thinking it. If they, if they all think it's right, it must be right. If that's what they're doing, I need to do it because I need to fit in. It's all about me. I brush my teeth because everyone else does it and I want to fit in. And, and I realize when I don't brush my teeth, my ba- breath's bad, my breath's still bad when I don't brush my teeth. But anyway, and people will tease me. I'll not be a part of the herd. I'll not be a part of the gang. They might start to rattle a wee bit and people will see it. I need to brush my teeth to preserve myself and to be like everyone else. Still with me? Law four. We're getting there. Is law an order? I wanted to be a policeman, so I like this one. Right and wrong is deemed by a codified system of rules. Impartial judges impose punishment and respect for authority. Right is getting a proper pay or reward for good work and prescribed and inflicted punishment for breaking the rules. Authority figures are rarely questioned. They must be right because they are the principal, the judge, the policeman, the church leader. They must be right. And so this was ancient Israel at the time of Christ. When they came to Jesus, they said, we have the law. They were about to stone him on the Sabbath when he healed the man. We have the law that says, do not do this. And so this is much of our modern world. We have laws, we have courts, we have prosecutors, judges, juries that impose the law. We have the police forces, and this is good. So please don't take me as saying this is wrong. I'm going to relate this to our Christian walk. We need this. I'll give you an example in a little minute. And so we need people to keep the rules. But spiritually... People at this level find security in keeping these rules. It brings them security to know that I have ticked the list, that I haven't broken this rule, that I have worn the right thing, that I've done the right thing. To tick the list brings security. But actually, it also means I can get as close to the edge of the interpretation as I can. I can push this as far as I want. I want to get close to the line. Again, because it's all about me. And so there's a poster in our kitchen at home, and one of the rules on it is brush your teeth every day. And I know if I don't brush my teeth, there will be consequences. Nicola has a poster for me that says brush my teeth. But I trust, talking from a child's perspective, I trust my mum and dad. If they've got that rule up there, it must be for a good reason. And I'm going to do it because if I don't do it, I'm going to get in trouble. And do you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to enforce this rule on my little brother and sister. They must do it as well. They must follow the rules that are in this house. I know I'm going a bit over the top, but you get what I'm trying to say. For my safety, it's for my comfort. Let me give you a little example about when rules are not enforced. Yesterday, we went to a football game. 
It was very entertaining. But about 30 minutes through the first half, Joshua and Daniel were with me. And I said to them, boys, there's going to be a fight soon. What happened? There was a fight, fist fight. And I started to explain to them afterwards. The reason there was a fight was because the referee, poor referee, there's lots to do. The referee was not enforcing the laws of the game. He was being very lenient. And people were getting hurt. And people were starting to get cross because they seen injustice. And they were like, why is he not doing it? The fans were getting worse. Why is he not giving a yellow card? Why is he not giving a free kick? Why is he not stopping the match? And when, they, when the law was not enforced, boiling point was reached and people started to act out by themselves and chaos ensued. And this is what happens when law and order is not enforced in a society where it is needed. Sound really bad here. Shouldn't have been a politician. Now, the answer to this comes now. Are you ready? It's not all bad. It's not all doom and gloom. Level five, sounds like we're in a video game, is love for others. Right is determined by doing what is the, in the best interest of the other. It's realizing people have value in who they are, irrespective of the rules. Now imagine the football game yesterday. You need a wee bit, you know, this is a sport, you need a wee bit of, you know, I don't know what the word is, but... Imagine if they all respected each other and honored each other, played a good game, but had mutual love and respect and honor. You wouldn't even need a referee. This is the next level. Wrong is determined not by a checklist of rules, but by doing what is actually helpful and beneficial for the other. And so Jeeves, Jeeves, who's he? Jesus demonstrated this when he touched the lepers, when he spoke to the woman at the well, when he sat around the table with the sinners, when he socialized with the tax collectors, when he healed on the Sabbath and the Pharisees were wet in their pants. Excuse me, he broke the law. He broke the Sabbath law. We have all these laws and we have all these. He's saying it's not about the law. About this. The law was given for guidance. Just like the toothbrushing, it was given for a moment of immaturity to say, I need you to start realigning your heart with me. But you're not always going to need these laws because you're going to start to walk into a place of maturity. Can you imagine Daniel introducing him when he's 35? This is my 35 year old son, still in nappies because. We had to do a checklist for him because he didn't know what to do with it. I'm joking, Daniel. Or he's, I'll embarrass the alone to see here. Joshua walks in, he's, he's 42 years old. He's still drinking a bottle. Hasn't quite managed to understand that he needs to actually eat solid food yet. There's a time and a place for rules. There's a time and a place for how we do things. And we want to move to maturity. And for me, this is my perspective. The Old Testament is a time where God was giving rules and regulations to his people to to actually point to something greater. To point to a way of living that was something different to the narrative of the culture around him and saying, if you start to live in this way, things will happen. But I don't want you to always need these 10 things. I trust you. And so an example of this was in 1 Samuel, um, where David ate the showbread from the temple that shouldn't have been touched. He broke the law because he loved his men. 
And so the uh, love of others, it requires other-centered thinking, motives that move away from yourself to others. And the situation you're in will determine the actions that you take. Sometimes the rules are put aside because of love, and I'm not saying to break all the rules of, of the law, but I'm saying that there's a certain time that I'm going to trust Daniel that I don't need to tell him everything he needs to do. I trust you. He's allowed to go on the main road, Mother Lace Road now. After 13 years, it took me. But I trust him now. Because he's been with me long enough to know how I handle a situation if a car's coming. Very basic, but it is. He knows how to handle it. He knows how, I, how I'll think. Because I'm his father, and I, I trust him, and he trusts me. Don't need the rule anymore with him. And so this level requires emotional intelligence. Not intelligence to know how to do an exam or to know all the doctrines, things that are, are important in certain things. It requires emotional intelligence. And sometimes my re reaction will be different. Think of it, if I, when I, we'll not talk about COVID injections, but when, uh, when our kids were younger, when two years old, there's injections that they have to get. And I remember holding Sarah was the last one, getting an injection in this leg and an injection in that leg. And can you imagine it in her brain? My daddy is holding me to inflict pain in me. But I know the real true story is it's for your own good. But yet a day later, I will be holding her and calling her and loving her. What's going on here? And the next day she's in the naughty corner for 10 minutes for a timeout for something she's done. My actions are different in different circumstances, and I don't, she may not always understand why things are happening or what is happening, but she knows that as her father, I have her best interest. And sometimes we can't understand why seemingly, depending on our theology, what God is doing or not doing or what's happening in life or not happening. But we have to come to the place as he trusts us that we trust him that God has this in control. Level six is principle-based living. I brush my teeth. That's 30 minutes up. Give me three more. I brush my teeth, not because of the rules, but because I now understand how my teeth work and the purpose of the brushing. I brush to keep my teeth healthy and to go against the natural law of decay. Right is understanding the design of life, the protocols of life, and all the building blocks that life operates on. And I want to live in harmony with those. Right is not doing something because a rule says so, but because I understand how this thing actually works now. And so this was Jesus living out the character of God. It was the apostles after Pentecost living out the kingdom of God. And a mature person will recognize when man's laws go against God's laws. For example, if I go to Colorado, I, I can legally have marijuana. Does that mean it's good for me? Don't answer that because some of you might think it is. There's some things in life that just because the law says I can do it doesn't mean I can or doesn't mean it's good or profitable. And lastly, level seven, understanding that you're a friend of God. If you have experienced the reality of the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus and he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man. Verse 23 then, now it's time to be made new by every revelation that he has given you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within you. Live in union with him, understanding you're a friend of God. So those at this level, they not only love, they not only have love for God and others, 
level five, not only understand God's design for their life, level six, but they also understand God's purpose for their lives and intellectually choose to cooperate with that, saying, I want his kingdom to come and I want it to come through me and I want to be a part of this. I want to partner with him in this. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants, but friends, because I share everything with you. What I know, you know. What I have, you have. You are my friends. And so people at this level understand the truth about God's character of love. And at this stage, with my teeth, I want to tell everybody about the importance of brushing my teeth. I want to set up a fund to buy people toothbrushes. I want to go all over the world with a toothbrush kit, telling people about the importance of what it's like to brush your teeth. I want to give money to people. But I also understand that if I don't brush my teeth, I will get sick. It will affect my health. It will affect my impact of my life on a day-to-day basis. It will impact who I am in Jesus. Even brushing your teeth will. I had a toothache a few weeks ago and telling you I was no use for Jesus. And so the, prim- the principles of other-centeredness leads to values of modesty, of humility, of wise, wise stewardship, of things like money. And so at level seven, at this level, I would have no problem avoiding expensive jewelry. I don't have expensive jewelry. Flashy cars, designer clothes. I'm not saying these things are wrong. Please don't hear me saying that. It gets to a place where it's more about him and his kingdom than what you have and who you are. And and so someone at level four would make rules such as no makeup, no jewelry, but they wouldn't notice the person that just spent £100,000 on a car or buys a new Gucci handbag every week because it's not a part of their rule system. The perspective is different. What they see is different because it's based on them and the tick box and what they're doing instead of on what he has done for us. And so when we operate at level four or below, we need a law for everything. But when we operate... At level five or above, it can be summed up in two laws. Does anybody know what the two laws are? Love the Lord God with all your heart and love others. It's about others. It moves from us to others. And so when we get to, I don't like saying get to because it's not something we want to attain. When we're at level five or above, we, We don't need to be told not to lie or kill or cheat or destroy because we're living in harmony with God. This is God's plan. If his people live like this, it's what brings his kingdom to earth. And do you also realize that all of the levels, teeth were being brushed. At all of the levels, people are walking a Christian life, not to be judged. But only at level five or above can we be trusted without rules or feel like we're trusted without rules. Level four or below requires an external threat or monitoring. Five or above doesn't. And so level one to four, we're nearly there. The view of life is from an imposed law. You must do this or you will be punished. It is from a God of wrath of death and of punishment versus level five, which is from a view of the design of God's heart, which is love, freedom, partnership, and trust. Can I ask you just for a moment just to think about how that will shape your daily thinking and how you live? 
if I'm going out with a God of wrath, of punishment, of rules, versus a God of love and partnership and grace? How do I walk in the footsteps of Jesus? How do I bring his kingdom? How does that affect my behavior? Rules are no longer needed, or maybe a better word is relevant at this stage because they're written on our hearts and minds. We don't need a rule book because we're in love. We're in relationship. We're living in union, as verse 24 says. So I want to leave you with that. How do I live in union? I don't want to see these as things to attain. I want these to be a natural overflow of where I'm at. And I want God to, it has to be the Holy Spirit that starts to do, to do this in, in the quiet place. For me, as I read through this, I realized that it's simple daily things that I choose things that I do with my habits, with my thoughts, with my inward life that will affect my outward life. If we're just reading from Ephesians that we're reading today, if we just put in the action the principles that are in those few verses, what a start to try and not overcomplicate it. If you have an emotion that makes you shake, deal with it there and then. Say sorry. Admit, thank, whatever the moment calls for, how we speak to one another, how we live with one another in harmony. What kind of humans do we want to become? What kind of world are we seeking to inhabit? I would love it where there's one like the the football yesterday, where people are living in harmony with God, understanding they're friends of God, that no referee is needed. That may never completely happen, but we have an opportunity.